0: Oh, why, hello there, people of the internet. I'm person of the internet, Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report Direct Message for March 23rd, 2021. Before we get to it, click that subscribe button. Make sure you're getting notified. It'll show up in your feed, perhaps, the videos, that is. And uh, then we see what happens, you know what I mean? Then I put on a show, you like it, you don't like it, you say nice things about me, you don't like me. Either way, uh, it's all good. Uh, We are doing three stories today, uh, though I quickly wanna touch on the the shooting in Boulder, Colorado, which I'm not gonna cover as a story because there's just so much unfolding at once, but there was a shooting in Boulder, Colorado last night that you guys probably all heard about. Uh, 10 people are dead. We'll find out more, okay, we'll find out more. You can see everybody's just kind of running with their narrative. I think the interesting part of this, I mean, if you can glean anything sort of interesting out of these tragedies, is the way that the blue check Twitterati on Twitter were all demanding or or announcing, I should say, all announcing for the first hour that this guy was a white supremacist, white supremacist, of course turns out he's an immigrant from Syria. Now, that doesn't mean that all immigrants from Syria are bad people. That's obviously not the case. Uh, But the the knee-jerk move to automatically blame blame white people and white supremacists on everything, and then the way they oddly backtrack. I mean, I've seen social justice warriors and and woke people today saying that even though he's an immigrant from Syria, he still has white privilege because he's not that brown. I mean, just like the litany of crazy things. Anyway, we'll probably cover the story more tomorrow, um, but it is one of those ones where it's like, you know, the, the shooting is horrific and it, and it is what it is and we have to think about why these things keep happening and, and have an honest discussion about mental health and perhaps about guns and education and culture wars and all that stuff. Uh, but unfortunately, everybody just kind of runs to their side and, and treats it as is. Uh, so the three stories that we're covering today, I saw a video on Twitter yesterday There is a social justice school being funded by taxpayer dollars in DC. We're gonna show you a little video and unpack what's going on at this social justice school, and you're not gonna believe it, guys. It ain't good. It ain't good. Uh, Second story today, um, NBC has uh, a piece on uh, DC statehood. And you may have heard that in the last couple days, there's been sort of a bigger move, really in the last week, it seems like it's picking up steam but Democrats have been talking about this for a while, that Washington, D.C., the capital of the country, should be a state. Now, that is not how uh, the union was formed. That's not how the entire country and operation was set up, with good reasons, which we'll get into in a little bit. So we'll talk about that. But of course, if you don't believe that uh, D.C. should be a state, you are a racist. And we'll get to that too. Uh, And then finally, I wanted to do something on the pandemic, but not really about the lockdowns or anything else, although it's tangentially there. Um, you know, the the stress, the stress and depression and rates of alcoholism and all that, which I've talked about a little bit over the last couple months, uh, there's a new Pew poll that really sort of unpacks what young people are going through, what people at different socioeconomic uh, stratas are dealing with and and it's messy, it's pretty messy. So we're gonna get to all of that and I'll, Try not to bring up Hitler or drop the F-bomb today. That is the goal. Uh, But before we do any of that, let's talk to you about Built Bar. You know, it's not often that you get to put the words healthy and delicious in the same sentence together. So if you've been struggling to keep that New Year's resolution to get healthier, I'm about to bring some really good news to you. It's called Built Bar, and it's the rare item of food. Got one right here. Uh, that's both healthy and delicious. Built Bar is high in protein and fiber and low in calories and carbs. Each bar contains between 110 and 160 calories, up to 20 grams of protein, and you only get three to five net carbs, so you can even do this keto if you want. And meanwhile, it's made with real chocolate and tastes amazing. This is the kind of snack that's going to allow you to lose or maintain weight while indulging in something delicious, and that's Always a welcome change. Built Bars have a ton of amazing flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, peanut butter, mint brownie, and a lot more. I've got several of them on my desk right now. Don't give up your New Year's resolution. Built Bar is the answer. Go to built Bar, not Bilt Bar. Go to builtbar.com and use promo code Rubin to get 15% off your next order. Use promo code Rubin for 15% off at builtbar.com. All right, so the first story I wanted to cover for you guys, uh, so I saw this video on Twitter yesterday, but apparently since August of 2020, there has been a new charter school in the D.C. area called the Social Justice Public Charter School. It is funded with taxpayer money, and uh, you're not gonna believe this, guys. They're up to some pretty funky stuff over there, so we're gonna show you a video. This is from, I believe, a Zoom chat between the president of the school, who's the gentleman, and uh, the woman there who's in charge of science and wellness at the school, and I just want you to listen to some of the things that they're saying, and remember, this is funded at least partly by taxpayer dollars. What I think of is equity, um, and I think about the ways in which we can dismantle an oppressive system. um, with our kids, you know what I'm saying? Not for them, we're doing it with them. We're we're using, you know, they, they are a gateway um, to getting free, to getting, um, to being liberated, to to changing the system from something that is meant to keep us down to something that we're being able to flourish in. Oh, Lordy, Lordy. She gave me a lot of good buzzwords there. Um, first off, the school is designed to dismantle an oppressive system. The system apparently is so... Oppressive that it'll allow you to uh, make a charter school to do just that, funded by ta- pat- by taxpayer dollars. I mean that's uh, that's pretty bananas right there. Of course, she says some of the other things that I'm always talking about: equity, equity, equity. Which, as you guys know, equity is the most dangerous word in our lexicon right now. It is the, it is the worst idea being packaged as a good idea. The idea that we will all end up in the same place. It's anti-human. It takes away all of your individual autonomy, your ability to work hard or not work hard, to come from a good family or not come from a good family, to have a little bit of luck in life. If we're just gonna have a system that makes everybody equitable, all we can do is give people equal rights, and that's what we've done in this country. Um, And she wants to dismantle, right? So we talked about the dismantling, the equity. So this is what's happening there. Uh, Let's show their... uh, Logo with a little bit of the text there. Uh, Be part of the solution. As a community, we will do our part to make sure that the murders of black lives at the hands of law enforcement will not be in vain. Now is the time for a revolutionary social justice middle school. All right, so the reason I wanted to do this story right now is because, as I said, there was the the shooting happened and I was like, you know, I don't wanna just dive right into that. Let's let's wait and see. I know that's kind of crazy, but like, let's wait and see till we have a little bit more information. And then I saw this and it's like this type of thing gets to sort of the root of almost everything we're talking about here all the time, how the state is now funding things that will be racist. Do you think that a middle schooler who goes to that school, who learns that America is this oppressive patriarchy, who learns that equity is better than equality, uh, who learns a series of things that are counter to all of our founding documents and all that, and and to dismantle the very things that allow them to live freely, do you think they're gonna come out as a more tolerant person or not? Do you think they're gonna come out as a more enlightened person, as, as someone that's gonna, you know, sort of fight to get theirs in society or someone that's gonna burn it all down? And, and that those things cannot be decoupled from each other. There is a reason that these people that the people that push this set of ideas have been so unable to really build anything, right? Black Lives Matter has made billions of dollars. It's unclear where any of that money has gone. Antifa has caused at least roughly two billion dollars worth of damage. Like if they wanted to bring on their communist revolution or something, wouldn't they be building schools? Wouldn't Black Lives Matter be sending young people to you know, historically black colleges, whatever, whatever you wanna do, but they're not good at that. So what they're good at doing is dismantling things, meaning destroy things. And it is much easier to destroy things uh, than to build things. The school slogan, by the way, is where scholar meets activist. That's, that's very dangerous. That's very dangerous. I really think about it for just a second. Think about all your teachers growing up, whether you went to a public school or a private school or half and half, whatever it is that you did, or whether you were homeschooled even, would you want your scholar, so in essence, your teacher, where your teacher meets activist, that's dangerous. You don't want a teacher to be an activist. And I assume, I don't know if they're saying where scholar meets activist, meaning that's what the teacher should be as one thing, or the scholar meets activist, meaning they're Actually, breeding an entire group of activists. It's probably that one. Um, but that's dangerous. These kids should learn to understand that two plus two is four, that there are basic truths, that America is good, that enlightenment values are worth conserving, and all of these things. And I suspect that's not going to happen. And it's being paid for uh, by the public. So, this is another one of those moments where, you know, my book, which is back there, uh, you know, I lay out all of the what I believe are the, are the classically liberal principles that are the right way to run a society. And I believe those to be the best ways to do it. One thing I've hedged on since the probably 11 months or so, 10 months that the book has come out, is that I used to really be for public education or at least a role for the government in public education. I went to public elementary school, junior high, high school, I went to a public state University of New York at Binghamton, which was a great school at the time, probably not so great anymore. I thought there was a role for government in education, but it's becoming harder and harder to push that narrative, right? Like, if you know that your kids, look, the people that go to this charter school, they're selecting them into the school, so they know what they're getting. They're basically signing their kids up to be brainwashed. But if you send your kids to just the local public school and these bad ideas and the ideas of critical race theory and everything else get in there and then they start hating themselves because of their skin color or they start judging people because of their skin color, which is the reverse of that Martin Luther King guy, but we gotta get rid of him soon enough. So anyway, it's, it's pretty bananas and it's worth paying attention to these types of things because it's like, all right, so there's one social justice charter school now, it's in DC, do you think that's gonna be the last one? I suspect not. Uh, okay, let's move on. Uh, you know, there's been this big push in the last couple weeks to get DC, Washington, DC, to be a state and you're not gonna believe it, but the narrative seems to be forming that if you don't believe that DC should be a state just because they believe it now, and it might have something to do with, they want extra electoral college votes and they're really trying to wrap this thing up nicely so no Republican can ever win again. Um, But if you don't buy into what they're saying, uh, of course you are a racist. So NBC ran a story. The DC statehood fight is part of an ugly effort to disenfranchise black and brown people. Yes, I'm shocked, people, that the mainstream media would frame something around racism when it has absolutely nothing to do with racism, but you know they'll find a way to do it, and let's look at the sub-headline. Battles for statehood have always been political, but they've also quite often been about race. Washington DC's fight for recognition is no different, and then directly from the article itself, Withholding statehood from the District of Columbia is part of a far more sinister nationwide effort to disenfranchise non-white Americans at disproportionate rates. It goes on, today, non-white Americans are, are more likely to be purged from voter rolls, more likely to live in gerrymandered vote sinks where elections are effectively decided by maps and not voters, more likely to endure horrifically long lines to vote when they can at all. These efforts to minimize the impact of non-white votes, whether motivated by cynical partisanship or explicit white supremacy, are a legacy of the most shameful part of American history. Okay, well, I'm gonna explain to you in just a minute uh, via a piece in The Federalist why D.C. was set up not to be a state in the first place. Now, look, I'm not saying there aren't some issues. Might there be some issues with gerrymandering? There might be. Might there be some issues with the way we vote? Do you think? Maybe there are some issues with the way we vote and the fact that when I went to vote for president here and I actually took out my wallet because I was gonna show the woman my ID, she was like, no, 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 you don't need it. Like anyone can vote. There's also this meme out there. I keep seeing this thing now. I So uh, this morning it was really out there, that somehow it's easier to get a gun than to vote in America. And it's like, no, I literally walked in to vote. I could have been anybody and then just walked right back in and been anybody else. I have bought some guns here in Los Angeles in the last six months and it is not easy to get them and it takes weeks and there's background checks and a whole series of other things. Um, but let's, let's jump to, uh, to the Federalist uh, for an explanation as to why DC was set up not to be a state and then we'll unpack a little bit. The founders intended for the capital of the newly created United States to be a neutral ground for co-equal sovereign states to come together to transact the nation's business. At the time, state governments were much more powerful than they are today, so a worry about placing the capital within a state was that the state might exercise unfair influence or pressure on the federal government. Granting DC statehood would put the other 50 states at a distinct disadvantage when looking to influence federal policy, grants, and regulation. Okay, so we could go much more into that. And actually, let's do a show about DC statehood in general, all right? So we'll we'll do a full show on that, and maybe unpacking a little bit more of sort of the nuts and bolts uh, as to why the founders set things up the way that they did. But what I think is particularly interesting with that is that they set up this system because they were trying to decentralize power, right? That was the whole idea. We have 50 states, then there's this thing where they can all come together and fight it out. And if one of them, that's what I just read here, if one of them has too much power and that's the one where this thing is, now we got a problem. So we all know that the world is going towards decentralization, right? Like we know that the tech world is going there. It's fairly obvious that the education world, almost everything I think in the future will be decentralized if human life is to remain free on planet Earth, which I suppose is a little bit of an if these days. Um, So when the people now want DC statehood, and of course, they're gonna tell you it's racist if you don't want it. Right, it's racist if you don't want it. Do you think any of these wokesters or any progressive or Democrat would want DC to be a state if there was any chance that it could be red? Like, are they really doing this because they just wanna make sure that these disenfranchised voters get a chance to vote, or is it, do you think, and call me cynical here, do you think it's possible that actually what they're doing is a really awful ploy because they know that it will be blue, it will not be red, and it will enshrine them in power forever? I know, I know, Dave, you're such a cynic. I get it, people, I get it. Um, Anyway, whether DC should be a state or not, it is not, it was never based in racism. Has our history been a little bit messy? Yes, have we done an incredible amount to make it much, 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 much better? Yes, we have, which is why all of the people, the woman in that video I showed you a moment ago, she doesn't wanna leave America, she wants to dismantle America, because she doesn't wanna go anywhere else because nowhere else is better. There is no place better than this place. There's no place like home. That's what Dorothy said. And there's no place better than this thing. So when these people, when they wanna make DC a state and they wanna change the filibuster and they wanna pack the courts, all things that at some level might make some sense, perhaps, but do you think they're doing it because they want things to be freer and fairer and more people to be welcomed into the system or do you think they're doing it because they want to have more control over the system because they want to have their hand on every lever of power again i know call me a cynic but that's what i think all right let's shift all together and let's talk a little bit about what's going on with lockdowns and just sort of the psychological distress that that people are dealing with you know we know that rates of alcoholism are up i'm sure you guys have versions of this in your family i just saw a study the other day that that um, obesity is on the rise. Like there's just, everyone's kind of nutty. You know, like I think you probably know people that like sort of came out of COVID now that we're sort of deciding it's over. It's like some people kind of came out better uh, and some people really did come out worse and it's not always their fault and it could be your age and what other stresses you have and losing your job and all of these things. But I've been saying for a long time since this started, we have no idea what kind of ramifications this year of locked away craziness is gonna do. Um, You know, the idea that like, if you were a high school kid and last year was your last year to play whatever your favorite sport was, you know, you were the starting point guard on the basketball team and they just stole your last year away, or you were a girl in the band, or you were a trans wrestler at the women's wrestling event, or whatever whatever it is that young people were, were doing last year, it was taken away from them. And of course, a lot of stuff was taken away from adults too. And the idea that we trained ourselves to just sort of listen to the experts, and then the experts get things wrong, and then we get lost having to decipher any sensible anything from the media. It's a a big freaking mess. So anyway, uh, Pew did a research poll uh, on American trends. Uh, This is from February 16th to 21st among about 10,000 Americans to sort of get a sense of where people are at psychologically right now. And I've got a quote from Pew. Experts have documented that fear and isolation associated with the pandemic have been responsible for a surge of anxiety and depression over the past year. Yeah, and we're seeing a ton of this with young people. It goes on to say, young people have been a particular group of concern during the pandemic for mental health professionals and young adults stand out in the current survey for exhibiting higher levels of psychological distress than other age groups. The shutdowns have disrupted job opportunities, college experience, and the mixing and mingling that marks the transition to adulthood. Among those interviewed in the current survey who say that the pandemic is a major threat to their personal financial situation, 34% are classified as being in high psychological distress. So I'm gonna throw to two, sh- two charts in just a sec, but you can already see what's going on here. When, when you take away everything that's normal. It's one thing for an adult to have to adjust, right? So like this last year was crazy for everybody for my team and trying to figure out I'll just I'm just going to give myself as an example, right? And we all remember that beginning of COVID when it was like really we were thinking like is is the world over and you're you're going to supermarkets with you know rubber gloves on and all, all of the craziness and we moved to complete remote work and we had to put a satellite on my house and a whole bunch of other stuff and we had to hire people and we had to spend a lot of money on new equipment and, and all sorts of stuff. But fortunately for me, our, our business has thrived in the middle of this entire situation. And, and oddly, we were positioned pretty well because I was sort of doing it all from home first, right? So now everybody's kind of doing it from home and I, we were sort of ahead of the game. Um, but that doesn't mean that everyone was that lucky. And I do view myself as, as being lucky. I was sort of ahead of the curve on this stuff um, but it's still a stroke of luck that, that things turned out to be okay. But now they take away your job, now you're 15, they take away a year of your dating life, right? A, a year where you can hang out with your friends and you should just be in your house with your parents and you should just be on Zoom all day and everything else. So let's, let's throw up the first chart here because there's, there's some interesting stuff here. Uh, so this is about one-third of U.S. adults report at least occasional sleeplessness, anxiety in the past week. So the number that I thought was interesting there is the top right, if you see that that 31 and the 17 in the top right, so that means that basically if you add 31 plus 17, that means that 48% of uh, young people in the U.S., adults, um, felt hopeful about the future. Well, only... A little of the time or less than one day of the time do they feel hopeful? So basically half the people in America, according to this study, don't feel hopeful more than one day a week. That's a real problem. That's a real problem. That means we've got, you know, you can all picture that old commercial, like the depression commercial. Remember that woman was like wandering around and there was this like cartoon, like, blob following her, and it was the depression that was following her. Well, I think everyone sort of has that. Like people don't feel like there's a vision for the future that makes sense. The entire sense-making apparatus, the entire public intellectual exercise has just absolutely collapsed. Let's just look again at this, see a couple others. So you can see like a whole bunch of people are having trouble sleeping. Uh, People are feeling depressed, nervous, and anxious. Um, Had a physical reaction when thinking about the outbreak 25% of adults said that uh, most of the time, five to seven days, they have some sort of physical reaction. You know, I can tell you that that physical reactions related to stress are real. You guys know when when I was when this show started taking off and I started getting the crazy hate and the hit pieces and being called a white supremacist and it's all old hat to me now. Uh, but when that first started happening to me years ago, uh, I internalized my stress. I wasn't dealing with it well. I developed alopecia areata, which is an autoimmune disease, and I lost huge, huge chunks of my hair. This is all it's all mine now. Um, but I, I talk about this in the book. But I lost huge chunks of hair. And it was because of stress. So people can get all sorts of things because of stress. The, the, you know There's just so much happening here. So let's, let's jump to the other chart uh, because this is more focused on uh, young adults and especially women. So what I thought was interesting here is that right now women ages 18 to 29, 36% of them say that they're in high distress. Men, men are at 27%, that's too much too. But 36% of young women Young eighteen to twenty-nine year old women who are about to enter the prime of their lives. You know, I, I like to think as a forty-four-year-old that the forties are really the prime of your life because the twenties, it's like, you know, you don't know what's going on. You can just do everything and, you know, you're never tired. Thirties, you're kind of getting it all in order. 40s is where it can sort of crystallize. So I like to think I'm kind of right in the middle of that. But these eighteen to twenty-nine-year-olds, twenty-seven percent of men, thirty-six percent of women are in high distress. And then uh the The column right beneath that, also 18 to 29, depending on income, lower income people, almost 40%, 39% feel that they're in high distress. It's almost as if going to work and getting a paycheck and feeling like a productive member of society is an important thing. It's almost as if the government just taking tax money from you so that it can give you less money back every now and again, and then you know, pat you on the head, you good little pet, that maybe that's not the best way to be doing things. It's almost as if these things, I, boy, I really am cynical today. Uh, and let's just look at one other. Um, 18 to 29, marital status. I thought this was interesting too. So 23% of married people feel that they're in high distress. 35% of unmarried people. And the reason I thought that was interesting was because look what's happened in, in the world of dating in the last year. I know one person, one person who was single when this thing started, met someone on Zoom, they fell in love and now live together, took less than a year. I know one person like that. But imagine, I've talked to many of my friends who are single, if you imagine if you were just single, picture New York City. So you're single in New York City, you're basically everything's locked down, you can't go out to bars, you can't, go out to restaurants or you know, maybe you can, you're wearing masks, there's no there's no more like walking up to somebody at a bar, right? Like you can't just walk up to somebody at a bar because they don't want you standing at the bar, right? So you can put a mask on. The way they have just disassembled all of our ability to just be normal is going to have so many long lasting effects. I am telling you guys, when I walk my dog, it's not just that they people literally pull their dogs away as if the dogs are gonna infect each other. I now go out of my way, this is not a joke, I go out of my way to give the most over-the-top hellos to people. I, when we first moved here, you know, I don't love the idea that people could know where I live, so I usually I got my hat and glasses, now I have a mask, I look, you know, I'm gonna rob a bank. But now it's gotten to the point where people just walk by you and they don't even acknowledge that another human's there. So I'm, hey, how you doing, what's going on? Nice to see you, good morning, how are you? Good. Well, good evening. What's going on? What's happening? Nice to see you. Oh, you're having a good day. I mean, I am completely over the top now. And people, they, they often they won't even look at you. They won't even look, and they're still walking around with masks and everything else. So getting out of this thing, like, you know, I know that uh, that elderly man, Joe Biden, said that on July 4th, we might be able to get together with a small amount of family in the backyard if we're good to celebrate America's independence, which is completely bananas. Um, but there is going to be so much stuff that we have to deal with after this. And, um, and actually that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm so proud of what we've done with the Ruben Report Locals community, because we're creating community again, because community has been decimated because of this thing. And we're doing it without trolls and bots. So if you wanna join us, of course, somehow turned into a product placement. I, I didn't mean it to go there, but uh, as you know, it is Ruben Report. Locals.com. By the way, guys, part one of my interview with uh, British actor, Lawrence Fox, who almost got canceled about a year ago. He has just such a freaking fascinating story, this guy. He almost got canceled basically for being a good old fashioned liberal. He considers himself a classical liberal, had never been called racist until a year ago. And then he was on a British TV show and all hell broke loose. That really put him on the map. And what I love about this guy is that, you know, I keep saying this idea that I'm I'm tired of people who just talk, I want people who do. Like you gotta go do something, go build a tech company, go start a political party, go build a product, whatever it is, well, he actually did it and he started the Reclaim Party in the UK and because they wanna reclaim liberalism, pretty sweet. And uh, and he's running for mayor uh, against Sadiq Khan, who is the far left woke progressive mayor of London, who's completely ruining that city. So part one with Lawrence Fox up now on YouTube. The full episode is up uh, ad-free already at rubinreport.locals.com. Oh, and since we did a little education stuff this morning on the top of the show, uh, this Friday, we have a panel, three guests, plus me, four human beings, all in little boxes, and it's all about education and how we can fix the system. All right, everybody, have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, and, uh, you know, it's okay. It's gonna be all right.